Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Glad we could all be together and uh, thankful to get to see you all. And uh, welcome to RUF. We're uh, looking at John, the Gospel of John this semester in this series called Who is the Real Jesus? And uh, we've seen uh, basically a lot of interactions of Jesus with different people. And uh, tonight we'll have another uh, kind of a long passage uh, where Jesus interacts uh, with several people. And uh, what we're trying to look at is who is this Jesus and how do we find life in him? Um, how is he the key to life? And so tonight's passage is from John chapter 9. And uh, I'll read it for us. And then we can spend some time examining it together. And we'll try to ignore whatever's going on over there. Um, this is from John chapter 9. As he passed by, he saw a man, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but it is like him. He is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, He is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been 
the lion and said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and you would, would you teach us? And they cast him out. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, and that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would, have, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. Okay, big, long passage. And it's noisy over there. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we, as we come now to your word, we uh, pray that you would guide us. We pray that uh, you would make it clear to us and that you would use it to change our hearts, to encourage us and challenge us. Uh, to make us uh, more like you. We pray that you would bear fruit in our hearts tonight. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, is anybody in the room colorblind at all? I have uh, red-green colorblindness. It's actually called proton- a protonomaly. And uh, I, so that means that I'm a strong protan. And what that means, I looked this up... Uh, all my life, like I've known, I've been col- I was colorblind, and people always ask, like, "Oh, does that mean you can only see black and white?" And it's like, "No, it's more than that." And I've never really known how to explain it, and so I looked it up and like tested myself online and got this like awesome description of what I have. And it's uh, people that have what I have is a type of red-green colorblindness, where your red cones in your eye do not detect enough red. And they're too sensitive to greens and yellows and oranges. And so what that means is that uh, for me, greens, yellows, oranges, reds, and browns may appear similar. So fall is not as cool for me as it is for you. Uh, Especially in low light, that's especially true. So I can still see stuff like the foliage and stuff outside. But it can also be difficult to tell the difference between blue and purple or pink and gray. And red and black might be hard to tell apart, especially when red text is against the black background. And so when I read that description, I'm like, yes, that's everything. Like, that's exactly what I have. And the thing is, though, I wouldn't know that I had this unless someone told me, right? Uh, For me, it happened, like, in kindergarten when I colored the sky purple or the grass orange. And people were like, why did you do that? And I was like, is that not what it is? 
and then you know you figure it out and it runs in the family so we knew but uh, everything to me looks normal I have no way of knowing unless I'm told uh, that I'm not seeing what I should be seeing that makes sense and in this passage Jesus is saying that it's possible to think we see ultimate reality and actually be missing the ultimate reality uh, you can be like me with like the reds and greens and all the colors with God and his world and the way God works in his world. You can think you see and not see. And the question for all of us is, are you seeing what you're supposed to be seeing? And how does what you see shape how you live? Uh, so that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. And the way Jesus gets to talking about this topic Uh, is to talk about first uh, this issue that everyone thinks they understand, which is the problem of suffering and uh, this man who was born blind. And so we're going to look first at this idea of suffering and and then we're going to look at what true sight is and what true blindness is. But first of all, uh, this story picks up with uh, this question that the disciples ask when they see this man born blind. And they ask, they say, who sinned? Like, this guy was born blind. Whose fault is it? Who sinned? Was it this man or was it his parents? And I want you to just think about why they asked that. Like, why do they ask that? Uh, it's because it's what we all tend to think. Like, uh, it's what the world has always thought about bad things. It's like, if you have a bad life, you must have done something to deserve it. Um, this happened when I was in college. When you guys are all little kids, uh, Hurricane Katrina happened. So you were probably all like five, four, five, six years old, something like that, when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans. And what you, so you probably don't remember that on, like, there were a lot of people at that time saying things like, New Orleans probably had it coming, because like, New Orleans is an evil city, or New Orleans, they do voodoo there, and so that's probably why. And people actually said this stuff. And uh, because a lot of people tend to think, we tend to, it's kind of like our default mode to think this way. It happened to me one time in high school. I cheated on a geometry test one time. Very minor. Like, I don't even remember what I did, but I just remember like it was minor, but I, it was just like eating me up inside that I had like broken the rules. And uh, like the next day I was playing with friends in the yard and I like hit my head on the ground and got a concussion. And I immediately connected those two. Like the ne- that night I was just like, that's why. Like, okay, God, I'll accept the concussion uh, because I know how bad it was for me to, ch- which like, you know, how could you know that that was true? Uh, but we all kind of tend to believe this deep down and there's tons of problems with thinking like this Uh, one is that it creates pride in those that have a good life right so it's like you know what's wrong with all of you like what did you guys all do wrong Uh, second thing that's wrong with it is it's not true to the facts at all Uh, plenty of really good people have bad lives and suffer greatly and plenty of really bad people have good lives and don't seem to suffer Uh, Another reason it's bad is that it's incredibly cruel to suffering people to tell them that. If you've ever read the Old Testament book of Job in the Bible, you know that Job is this man who suffered greatly. And he had the worst friends because they were all probably like, what did you do wrong? They were all just like, what's your problem? And if you've ever suffered, you know that that's a horrible thing to hear. But finally, it's wrong because Jesus actually rejects that premise here. Um, And the biblical answer for why 
people suffer is because uh, sin exists in the world. And God created a good world, and everything about it was good, but when humanity rejected God and turned away from him, everything stopped working right. And sin just has a multitude of effects all over the world, and sin in general causes suffering in general, but individual suffering does not necessarily come from individual sin. It's possible that it could, but it doesn't necessarily come. So the question, like, who sinned because that guy was born blind is not a valid question. And what you need to see is that that's, this is different than every other religion. Uh, every other religion uh, says, you know, if you have a bad life, it's your fault. And Christianity rejects that notion. And, what that, and it's so great because it gets rid of the self-pity and the anger we feel when we suffer because we know it's not necessarily related to us uh, and we don't have enough information to know what's going on and we can stop beating ourselves up when bad things happen to us. And finally, Jesus talks about it a little here that we know that God uses suffering uh, for his purposes. Uh, God displays his works through suffering. So uh, suffering, while it, is, while it is hard, has the potential uh, to display God's work. And so um, Jesus takes the opportunity here to teach. Uh, he kind of uses this discussion to move toward the idea of sight and blindness, right? The disciples think this way. The world has always thought this way. Uh, and Jesus says, well, let's talk about sight. Uh, let's talk about seeing what's true and what's there. And he begins by healing this man. Uh, there's a man born blind, and you know, he spits on the ground and makes these mud things and puts them on his eyes and tells him to go wash, and, and he's healed. And you know, if you were here uh, a couple weeks ago, last few weeks, you've seen that Jesus has been doing this. Like uh, we, t- we looked at his feeding the 5,000, We saw how that symbolizes how Jesus can satisfy our spiritual hunger. And so this miracle symbolizes something bigger that we need to know. And Jesus healing this man's sight symbolizes that Jesus can restore your spiritual sight. Uh, He can help you to see ultimate reality. And in our story, he actually says, I am the light of the world. And he heals this man. Um, Sorry, that's really annoying. (laughs) Um, okay, but spiritual sight and blindness, right? Um, it's this idea that it's possible to see and not see, right? I can see and not see at all. Uh, some of you have heard me talk about, if you, anybody had braces here, most people? Not that many. Oh, not as many as I thought. Um, well, if you've ever had braces, you know that uh, afterwards, you get a retainer, right, usually? And uh, what, I, what I always tell people now when they get their braces off is like, make sure you wear your retainer because I didn't and it sucks now. Like my teeth got crooked and like it's just like a total waste. And it's because like I was told to wear my retainer. I had all the information. My orthodontist was like, you need to wear these retainers or your teeth will move. And I was like, yes, I see that. Okay, I'll do it. But I didn't, right? Because I didn't really see, like now I, I'm looking back and I'm like, you know, I didn't see back then how important this was. Like, I saw, but I didn't see. Um, I didn't get new information. Like, I have all the information I had now, but I just realize now 
what I didn't really realize before. Um, that's the kind of sight that Jesus is talking about. It's to realize what's truly there. And I want you to, what is the reality that Jesus want his disciples to see here in this interaction? Um, he wants them to see the reality of sin and grace. Um, this idea that, you know, like, they're, they're asking, like, oh, this guy has a bad life. He must have sinned, right? And Jesus wants to just blow up that notion altogether uh, with this idea of grace and say, you know, like, if we all got what we deserved, like, if that's how God operated, we would all be doomed, right? Like, we're all so prone to fall into sin. If that's how God operated, this world would be like the darkest, like worst place in the world. And God actually relates to us by grace. And God uh, loves his people. And, um, and so Jesus like, doesn't want them just to like, he doesn't want to just tell them that. He wants it to like sink in deep. He wants them to know it in the way that I now know about the, the retainer thing. Uh, he wants them to know it like experientially. Um, so it's not just an abstraction. Uh, if you have spiritual sight, you know that you were blind. So Christians should be people that know, like, I used to be blind and I still am prone to blindness. And the gospel is that you can be saved by grace. Uh, there's hope from God for people who have no other resources. That's what it means to be saved by grace. And the thing is, you'll never really know that unless trouble comes into your life. Unless trouble comes into your life, it's pretty hard to come to grips with the gospel. Uh, and so I want to ask you tonight, what are you doing with the trouble that's in your life? And I just know from, you know, I talk with a lot of you throughout the week, and I know that there's a lot of trouble coming your way. And this is the time of year when it happens. Uh, a lot of things come crumbling down. A lot of things that we thought we like were secure aren't there anymore. And I just want to ask you, what are you doing with your times of trouble? Are you just like pulling yourself up by your bootstraps? Or are you leaning on God's grace? Uh, do your struggles drive you further into yourself? Or do they make you look outward to God and his community for help? And this is where Christianity is so backwards from all other ways of thinking. Because what it's saying is like the suffering and the trials and all these things can actually be fertile ground for growth. They can actually help you to see reality. They can help you to see God uh, if you're willing to let it happen. Uh, so that's spiritual sight, but... Spiritual blindness uh, is what he deals with through these characters, the Pharisees, in this passage. Um, the Pharisees are religious leaders. They're people that have their act together. They're people who have good lives. And uh, they come to Jesus with this question. Like, they're kind of like, how do, like, why do you do this on the Sabbath? We talked a couple weeks ago about the Sabbath and how... Jesus doesn't fit their traditions, and so they're like, you know, what's wrong with you? And they show their blindness in so many ways in this passage. Um, they treat the man's parents like crap, and they're just, they're so condescending. Uh, they think that certain people are bigger sinners than others, and they think they're, like, definitely not sinners. Uh, they think certain people are disqualified from God using them, and they think, like, God does want to use them, though. Uh, they think they're in with God because they are like so strict about the Sabbath. 
And what they show, and what you need to hear from these guys is that the deepest blindness you can be in is a blindness to your own blindness. Okay? The only blindness with no remedy is a blindness that you are blind to. And that's what Jesus is talking about in uh, verse 41 at the end of the passage where he says, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. He's saying, like, the reason your guilt remains is because you think you see, but you're blind. That's the, you know, think of the color blindness, right? Like, uh, for me, the worst thing would be to not know and just, like, act like I was fine. And so, like, what I have to do when I, for instance, shop for clothing is whoever I'm with, I do a lot of, like, hey, is this blue or purple? And, you know, like, Maggie, my wife, is used to this, so she's like, it's blue. And I'm like, good. You know, because I'm fine with wearing purple, but, like, I want to know if I'm wearing it. Like, I don't want to just, like, (laughs) be wearing it because... Purple makes more of a statement, right? So you're like, I want to know if I'm making a statement today. Um, and rather than like show up the first place I go and have people be like, whoa, purple shirt. And I'm like, what? No. Um, did not know. That's happened to me before, by the way. I'm just like, oh, crap. Didn't know that. Um, but um, there's grace and forgiveness for those who know they're blind. Uh, but those that are blind and act like they see are the ones that are utterly lost. Um, I want to ask you tonight, are you able to be suspicious of yourself? Uh, when you have conflicts with people, are you able to stop and ask, you know, like, maybe, am I the problem here? How am I part of the problem? Maybe the problem is me and not them. Uh, when you're making important decisions, Are you able to welcome the input of other people, or does it all need to be about you? Uh, Can people offer you constructive criticism without you getting defensive, right? Because if you you get defensive when people offer you constructive criticism, it's a sign that maybe you think you see everything, right? Uh, As you struggle with sin, are there people that you allow to hold you accountable and know what's really going on in your life, or do you handle it alone? Um, here's a big one. Do you struggle to pray? Okay. If you struggle to pray, like this is why we struggle to pray, because we're often blind to our own blindness. Like when we struggle to play, pray, we're being blind to our own blindness. If we knew we were blind, we would pray. Like if we knew how blind we were, we would pray, because you know, we tend to think, like when we don't pray, what we're saying is like, I got this. And what you're not seeing is, you don't got this. No one's got this. Like, you could be struck by a lightning bolt. Like, and you would have no control over that. We don't have this. Uh, and, and yet, sometimes God allows things to fall apart around us to wake us up to that notion. You know, so that's what God does with trials and things that are hard, is that he uses them to wake us up to the notion that, you know, maybe I don't got this. Maybe me seeing is not enough. Like maybe my sight is not enough. Uh, and I wonder, might he be doing that in your life even now? Uh, how do you know that the man has been healed from his spiritual blindness from his, at the end of this passage? He worships. That's how you know he's healed of his spiritual blindness. Uh, 
he worships, uh, and he would have bowed down to Je- like the, the language is that he like bows down to Jesus. And uh, what it shows is that worshiping the wrong thing is the ultimate cause of our blindness. Uh, and worshiping the right thing is the only thing that can cure it. Uh, the essence of, essence of blindness is worshiping the wrong thing. And we don't ever bow. Like, no one bows to anything now, really, I don't think. Like, but uh, what are you bowing to? What are the things that you carelessly give your time and energy to without hesitation? Uh, what, Jesus is saying, what Jesus is saying is if it's not him, then life will feel like stumbling around in darkness. And, you know, at UConn, everyone bows I think one of the things people bow to the most at UConn is the idea of like a stable future. You guys see that? Like everyone, like, you know, if people are worshiping something, orienting their life around something, it's this idea of a stable future. And the thing is, everyone is unstable. Like, no, in the pursuit of that, everyone gets anxious, everyone panics. Everyone at Yukon stumbles around in darkness because they're worshiping something that is not solid. What will make you worship Jesus instead of that? You know, what will make you worship Jesus, let's say, when you don't know what your major is? What will make you worship Jesus even when you don't know what your future holds? What will make you worship Jesus even when people around you seem to look down on you? The thing that will make you worship him is that he says, I am the light of the world. And he means that he provides the truth. Uh, He enables us to see. And the way he enables us to see is that he goes to the cross. And on the cross, this amazing thing happens. On the cross, Jesus loses his spiritual sight. It actually physically gets dark for like three hours as he dies, as he cries out, because he cannot see, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, he's punished like someone who deserves the worst that God could bring upon someone, even though he was the best person to ever walk the earth. And he did it for you. Because what Jesus will help you to see is that God wants to be with you, like for all eternity. He wants you. That's what Jesus shows us. Uh, I've been telling a couple people this week about my son Asher. My son Asher is one and a half. He's like a walking tornado. He just walks around our house knocking stuff over. Like anything's on a table, he's just like, wham! You know, he turns the TV on and off constantly when we don't want him to. Uh, He makes a mess all over our house. And we just love that kid so much. Like, he contributes nothing. He makes our life harder. And like, I would die for that kid without hesitation. You think God might relate to you that way? What Jesus shows us and his willingness to actually go and die just to be with screw-ups like us, is that God, that's exactly how God relates to us. It's not about what you bring to the table. It's not about what you produce because God relates to his people 
by grace. And if you know that, if, you know, if that sinks into the core of your being, the whole world will be open to you. It will be like seeing for the first time. And what that will look like is that people that are hard to love will become a little easier to love. And that situations that are difficult to bear will become bearable because we get to bear it with Him. Because it'll, we'll see it as an opportunity for our growth. Uh, your realization that you fall short, all your failures will become opportunities to rejoice that there is a Savior who is perfect, who lived the life that you were meant to live and died the death that you deserve to die so that you could see. And if God was willing to die to have you, it won't be so hard to trust that He has a good plan for your life. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. That's the kind of sight that Jesus is talking about here, and it's only possible through him. It's only when we look to him that we can truly see. So let me close by praying for us, and we'll sing our last song. Uh, Heavenly Father, we... Pray that you would help us to see. Uh, Help us to see the depth of your love. Help us to see that you don't relate to us like uh, these disciples and these Pharisees think that you must, but uh, that you relate to us by grace. And we pray that your grace would set us free. Uh, We pray that we would be changed by it and that we would truly see. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.